God be the glory. It's uh, very gratifying that uh, we're able to fulfill Dr. Falwell's original vision, which is to play at the very highest level. Guys, I want to tell you, you're representing so many people today. You are living out what people started many years ago. You are walking on their shoulders, their foundation. You make up your mind that you leave this field today with absolutely no regrets that you'll remember. That you left it all out there and you come back in here and I gave it all for Liberty University, my teammates, my coaches. We'll do it together, for we can. For we, we can. can do all things. Do all things. Through Christ Jesus. He strengthens us. Strengthens us. Each and every day. Each and every day. And may God. And may God. Play with play. All right, all right, all right. You are listening to the Sea of Red podcast. My name is Chad Hassan. I am joined by uh, creator, founder, and all things of Sea of Red, John Manson. And we are here to discuss your Liberty Flames football team. And uh, we sound like a broken record, John, but we just are coming off the biggest win in school history. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, but wait a second. We need to go back and talk about you. You're kind of like the face of Liberty Football Twitter right now. Isn't that the case? Oh, man. I made a silly video yesterday imitating um, DJ Stubbs doing the I Love My Kicker song, and I sent it to you, and uh, I, I really wasn't planning on posting it, but I got a wild hair, posted it. And the thing went crazy, so I'm kind of looking forward to that not being circulating around Twitter. It's it's really embarrassing. So um, no, yeah, but no, that, that it, thing was it was cool. That was hilarious, man. I, I sat there and watched it over and over and over again, and couldn't stop laughing. Had tears in my eyes. Well, that's kind of how I felt about the DJ Stubbs original. So, well, we went to Virginia Tech, and uh, we were a huge underdog. It, as a matter of fact, the largest underdog by an unranked team over a ranked team in the history of college football, and uh, we pulled off an upset. So it's kind of strange. It, it's like the AP and the coaches poll both had us ranked, but Vegas still had us a huge underdog, largest in college football history, and we go off and pull off the upset. So first of all, before we get into all the vibes and all the feelings, what were the keys to the game uh, that you thought – how was able, Liberty able to, to match up against such more dominant athletes, it appears, and, uh, and pull out the win? Yeah, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, right? We talked about how the first quarter, the first half would be so crucial for Liberty, and that really proved to be, be the truth, right? You know, Liberty came out, um, ball control. I mean, I've never seen a Hugh Freeze offense do that before. Uh, maybe he did back when he was at Lambeth or something when those games weren't on TV. But, um, you know, the very first play of the game, very first drive, Liberty's got the ball. And you look at the offense and Malik Willis are just standing there staring at the sidelines until the play clock got down to about 10 seconds. Then they go ahead and line up. So, you know, immediately, you know, I realized what the game plan was for Liberty, and that was to be a ball control offense, hold the ball as long as possible and keep Virginia Tech's offense off the field. And, you know, that first drive went about seven minutes, ended in a C.J. Yarbrough touchdown, his first touchdown of the season. And uh, Liberty got up 7 nothing. And, um, you know, at the end of the first quarter, you know, things were looking great for Liberty. I mean, you started to wonder, you know, how much, could they, how much separation could they get over Virginia Tech? Uh, I think the defense had played only nine plays the entire first quarter. 
Um, and that's something that continued. If it, and it, you know, I don't hate, you know, it's the first time we're men- mentioning Malik Willis, and I don't want to take anything away from him. Obviously, Liberty doesn't win the game without his play, and Liberty's obviously not 7-0 and without his play so far this season. But those two fumbles that he had in the first half, which led to, in the second quarter, the last five minutes of the, of the half, led to 10 Virginia Tech points. You know, in the first, what was that have been, like the first 25 minutes of the game, I mean, Liberty completely dominated the game. I think it was 14-3 to at that point in time, maybe 14-10. to And, um, you know, Liberty was driving, and, and Virginia Tech hadn't shown – much ability to stop Liberty at that point in time. So if you take those, you know, I think it was 20 to 14 at halftime. If you take those 10 points away, you know, Virginia Tech's going into halftime with, with 10 first half points and Liberty's probably got at least 21. Uh, so it could have been a much different, different outcome or different, different ball game in the second half. But yeah, you know, that, that was the key of the game that we mentioned. Uh, you know, even despite the turnovers, you know, Liberty lost a turnover battle two to one. And, you know, even despite that, Liberty still was able to, you know, beat, a, a, you know, what, what you would say on paper is a, a far uh, better talented, more talented team um, in Virginia Tech than, than what Liberty is on paper. So um, the key was, as we mentioned, getting off to a good start, making Hendon Hooker pass the ball. We talked about how he had only had to uh, attempt 10 passes in their game against Louisville. Well, that, that wasn't the case on Saturday. and. You know, Hooker did did a great job, but Liberty was still over, able to overcome uh, his his ability and, and those turnovers. Just a great win for for the team and the program. So I think just watching the game, it all came to a culmination there at the end. But my overall take on why Liberty was able to pull that off, coaching, coaching. It was it was, it was so obvious throughout the entire game, but then that last sequence of plays of going for the 59-yard field goal, having it blocked, but then having the timeout called. Who ices a kicker with fifty with a 59-yarder in college um, with no fans? I mean, it's just like it was an odd timeout. But, you know, that's, that's one you can kind of say, hey, you know, looking back, he probably shouldn't have done. But had it worked, had he missed a field goal, nobody would have second-guessed that call. There was a couple of others. I mean, and and then and then Hugh Freeze marches the offense back out on the field, and you got Virginia Tech out in this prevent defense with nobody within twenty yards of CJ Yarbrough, and it was clear that on the third down play that they were going to go for seven, eight more yard outs to to try to make that field goal shorter, and Virginia Tech just just gave them seven yards to make it a fifty-one yarder. I think that the coaching throughout the game. So so things I noticed during the game were. Um, Virginia Tech's offensive line was beastly. I mean, they were good. They're the best. They are the best offensive line we'll play all year. They might be a top five offensive line in the country. And they did not use them effectively. They were running draws, quarterback draws with just some um, man movers up front. You know, the draw play is, is I don't understand football a ton. But the draw play is unique in the fact that you kind of drop back as an offensive lineman and let the defense come in a little bit. So that way, that once you get past that line, you know, there's there's a big gap there. And instead of just standing up, running an ISO, running some type of running play up the middle where you're just your offensive line are firing off and just pushing people backwards. And they did not do those type of plays at all. I mean, in when they did run them, they were like sweeps and, and tosses and and all that outside stuff. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of the new age of football is to get your your playmakers in space, get the edge, all that kind of stuff. 
But man, when you have such an advantage, I feel like that it doesn't take much of a coaching strategy to say, look, we're bigger than you. We're stronger than you. Let's push you back a little bit and run the ball up the middle. They didn't do that other than quarterback draws, which, again, I think 80% of the plays in the second half felt like quarterback draws. So uh, then it all just came to came to culmination there at the end with the bad play calling. But I think the biggest advantage Liberty had and the reason we won the game was coaching. This this team this coaching staff come off a bye week uh, had ton of time to prepare. You could tell they were they were ready to roll. They had um, you know we talked to Ken Ken Austin later in this podcast, and you could tell that they were prepared for the third and long, third and medium, third and extra long. They had they had studied. They knew um, because you know when when Virginia Tech's players were put in position by their coach. Um, you could definitely tell that they were the big playmakers. I mean, there were a couple of times where it was man-to-man coverage and their DBs made plays that I have never seen a DB make in person, turning around, finding the ball, swatting it down. It was impressive. So, um, yeah, I just feel like this was all on the coaching staff. Um, now, we don't want to take too much credit away from Malik and, and some of the guys that had big games. Butler had a big game. Obviously, the kicker with probably the biggest field goal in his career. Um but I think this all comes down to coaching. So fantastic. So let's talk about more about the the outcomes of the game, John. I uh, just want to get your opinion on what does this mean? Do what does this win do um, in the immediate future? So this week, this next week, and then what does it do for the next five years for the program? If you can forecast that far, uh, what what impacts does a win like that have on our Flames football program? Well, I mean, we've seen it a lot already this week just from national uh, media attention. You know, we saw it a little bit after the Syracuse win, but immediately everybody says, oh, but Syracuse is terrible this year and they got lots of injuries. Well, I mean, you know, you follow that up with a win against Virginia Tech, who was four and two. Um, They're favored, you know, this week against a top 10 team in Miami. I think it's a two and a half point line right now so this is not some you know pushover virginia tech team that's rebuilding or anything like that i mean they're they're, you know we're expected maybe they still are expected to compete you know for for maybe you know to to contend up in the the top half of of that of that league in the acc and um you know so i I think it validates uh the top 25 ranking it validates everything that hugh freeze is doing Um, you know just on, you know, last night I saw on Twitter where one of Liberty's commitments, a wide receiver, um, three-star, was offered by Vanderbilt. And in in the past, I would have sat there and said, well, you know, we're not holding on to that one. I don't think that's the case anymore. Like, I look at Vanderbilt and I'm thinking, yeah, it's the SEC, but other than that, why would you want to go play for Vanderbilt instead of Liberty? Um, you know, so it's going to have drastic um impact a drastic impact on recruiting in the in the immediate future and in the short-term future um it it will it also be interesting to see how things play out um i was a little bit disappointed that liberty only moved up to 22 in the poll um you know because my thinking is if you know hopefully they can get on up there if they, if they get up into the top 17 or 18 a loss might not even drop them out of the out of the top 25 you know, if it's if it comes against either NC State or Coastal Carolina, um, but you know if they're still hanging around there in the in the twenties, that that might not be the case. But yeah, I mean, it does a lot. It just legitimizes the the program. 
Um, and, and again, we talked about this before is, you, you know, having one great season, one, you know, quote unquote, miracle run is, is great. But at the same time, you know, you can all in in five years from now, you could always look back and hopefully this isn't the case and say, hey, it was just a flash in the pan one type of season. But but I, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I don't believe you think that's going to be the case. You know, Liberty's got the foundation built now behind Ian McCall. And, you know, we could go back and talk. I mean, since 2006, when Danny Rocco was hired, this thing has kind of been built from there. Um, you know, not to take anything away from Freeze and his staff, but, you know, prior to Danny Rocco, Liberty football was was a joke, you know, a laughing stock of Division One football at the uh, FCS level. And Rocco immediately instilled confidence in the team. Uh, that began to go to, to, to permeate throughout the fan base. And, you know, here we are 15 years later or whatever the case may be and haven't had a losing season since 2006. And, you know, certainly we won't have one this year. And, and um, you know, it, it, it's a long time. Of, you know, you look at the facilities, the money spent, the uh, – the, I mean, I, it's hard to say that Liberty can't can, – you know, this can't be a, a lasting thing where Liberty's competing, you know, as Freeze and, and Ian McCall have mentioned, competing to be one of the best G5 programs. and. You know, I was thinking that might be a five to ten year goal, but you know, maybe it's an immediate goal now. Yeah. So another thing that I've been thinking that's a residual effect of this is uh, pent up demand, and I'm going to have to read you that definition. Uh, shout out to all of my business professors at Liberty, uh, Scott Airhorn, Dr. Hicks, uh, and my economy teacher Gary Lape. Uh, so they taught me terms like this, but I still had to go to Investopedia to look this up, but pent up demand, pent up demand refers to a situation when demand for a service or product is unusually strong. Economists generally use this term to describe the general public's return to consumerism following a period of decreased spending. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think the pent up demand for Liberty football, Liberty athletics in general is is going to skyrocket. Whenever these things get back to normal and we're allowed to buy season tickets, we're allowed to attend games, you're going to see uh, what Investopedia refers to as unusually strong demand. And uh, and there's going to be unusually high spending. Um, so if we were going to average, you know, 20, 21,000 at, at um, Williams Stadium this year, if we're back to normal next year, I could see pent-up demand causing us to have 23, 24, 25,000 on average there. So I'm not really sure what all that looks like. I just know that fans like myself are just are clamoring for uh, Flames football and to get there to Williams Stadium and see this stuff live and um, and, and just experience it with, you know, 25,000 of their, their closest friends, as you would say. So I think the pent-up demand is one of those things that we're going to see as a is a huge residual effect of what's going on right now. And uh, Flames Club, I'm sure, will um, have an uptick. And then season tickets will f- definitely have an uptick. So um, last thing I wanted to kind of uh, talk about when it, when it comes time to the Virginia Tech game is basically, um, well, two things. Bowl, what's the bowl picture look like? I mean, there you obviously, when you have bowl games, everybody's eligible this year. It's a weird year. But when you have bowl games, um, how many bowl games are there? How many would you consider top tier bowls like New Year's Six college football playoff? How many would you consider medium tier? And then how many would you consider lower tier? 
And has Liberty done enough already this season to put ourselves in that medium tier of bowls? And what are some of the examples of of what that means for the program? Is the payout a ton different? Is the experience just a lot better for our kids? What, what's the difference in the diff, the different bowl levels? And then where does Liberty fall right now? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, it's going to be a weird year, weird bowl season. We've already had several bowls cancel, um, but but it looks like there's still you know thirty plus bowls that are that are planning on a on having a bowl. Um, as you mentioned, there's no bowl requirements, which is actually a negative for Liberty this year because you know it could have somebody like a Virginia finish. I don't know how many games they play, but four and six, let's say, and and still be, you know technically be eligible for a bowl game and get a bowl bid. Uh, same thing. You probably see some SEC teams with you know three, four, and five wins that get get bowl uh, opportunities. Um, you know, but it, and it's kind of unfortunate for Liberty. This is where you know being an independent comes into play, um, and and not having those bowl tie-ins. I mean, if Liberty was in, you know, and I, I'm not saying I want Liberty to be in the Sun Belt or the Conference USA because I, I don't. I think you know Liberty's ceiling is much higher outside of those schools but um if liberty was in the sun but you know you look at coastal carolina um their bowl projections right now are much more favorable than than what what liberty's got and they have an outside chance of getting that um a a new year six bowl slot for being the highest ranked g5 program uh you know that that is eligible to make a um a new year six bowl I don't see that happening for Liberty. They're, you know, look at teams like BYU and Coastal, as I mentioned. You know, obviously that can change. You know, if if Liberty, and I think it it, you know, if Liberty finishes eleven and zero with three ACC wins, a win over a top twenty five, maybe top fifteen Coastal Carolina team, um, then that's when things start to change. Um, obviously, I don't, you know, I don't think Liberty's going to end up in the Cure Bowl or, you know, whatever the, you know, lower tier bowls are. You know, if you look at their bowl projections projections so far, you know, right now after the Virginia Tech win, it's more of those mid-tier bowls, you know, you know, which, you know, might not move the needle much for, among the general fan base, especially Liberty fans who haven't followed the bowl picture for, you know, very uh, in-depth the last few years. But like the Montgomery Bowl is one that I see Liberty projected in quite a bit. Um, you know, I've seen – Projections this week with Liberty playing Appalachian State or UCF uh, in in a bowl like that, uh, maybe the Boca Raton Bowl down in Florida. Um, you know, those are some that are that are kind of popping up right now. But you know, when you're playing in those lower tier to mid tier bowls, um, perhaps the uh, the biggest way to gauge how good of a bowl it is if you're not familiar with it is is who the opponents are. I mean, if you're you know playing a UCF and Appalachian State that that means you're in one of the top G5 bowls around. You know, if Liberty can get to, you know, 10 and 1 or 11 and 0, they might have a possibility to, to get into one of those, you know, higher mid tier bowls, if you will, um, playing, you know, some P5 teams, you know, some, you know, ACC teams or lower tier SEC teams, which I think that would, you know, really excite the fan base to have another opportunity to go up against a, a P5 team. But, you know, you, obviously you got to keep on winning. You know, keep on winning, and, and the more wins you get, the better your bowl outlook is. But um, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a fun ride, and you know, the, you know, just think of the story, Chad, that um, Liberty football is writing right now. You know, to be in the second year as an FBS program, what Hugh Freeze has gone through personally, 
you know, with his time at Ole Miss and the fall there. And then also what he did, you know, having to go through that back uh, staff infection in his back last year. Now you go through the COVID situation and and such a young program. I mean, it's amazing the story. Could you imagine if Liberty does end up undefeated, ranked in the top 15 at the end of the year? Just just the story that 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 represents that. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know how you would put that in words. I mean, you could, I don't know if it would draw enough eyeballs, but you could say this is a 30 for 30 type story. Liberty's writing right now. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely feels that way. There could be a 30 for 30 on coach Hugh freeze in this program, um, <clears throat> which is kind of the, the last thing I want to get to with you, John is, you know, obviously, Hugh Freeze is a top five coach in the country, top 10 at worst. And, uh, you know, we're, here we are with him at our program. We we obviously have limitations. We're, we're a G5 independent. Um, you know, if, if I was competitive like Hugh Freeze right now, you know, there are better jobs than Liberty out there. And that's tough to say because I love Liberty and I think it, what it can be. And, and I think I look. 20 years down the road and say, look, guys, look where we came in the last five years. Look where we can go in the next 20. And I don't think it's out of the question at all that Liberty can be in uh, the college football playoff in the next 20 to 25 years. That, that that used to be unfathomable that, you know, hey, is it possible that Liberty could play in the college football playoff in my lifetime? I used to think no. Now I think it's un- undoubtedly yes. And um, so but right now, you know, it just seems like that there are better jobs out there for competition and and just being able to recruit and and whatnot. And then just being able to say that you play on the biggest stage and that that's not fun to say as a fan right now because I do have the vision, but it's a reality. And I'm not trying to just uh, constantly be negative, but it is a huge part of what our football program is dealing with right now. I mean, you watch any, any show that comes on TV, talks sports, whether it's sports center, Paul Feinbaum, even stingray on, on Twitter. I mean, you watch anywhere and, and they, if that has coach Hugh freeze on and they all ask the same question, Hey, when are you going back to the sec? What, what, what's your plan to, to go out and what are you going to do in Tennessee and Texas and, you know, Auburn, what are you going to do when they all come calling? And his his answer has been pretty consistent. But my question to you, John, is, you know, how how have you dealt with that? What do you think? What do you think uh, as fans? I, I mean, each person's going to respond differently. But what is your take on how, how to enjoy this now, but also understand that that we're not a top tier job? And um, and, and then also, you know. I think an important thing to remember is it always gives me comfort at least is, um, you know, I've talked with Ian about this specific topic uh, several times. And the thing he always reminds me is he has a list of five candidates at any time ready to go for interviews that, that, you know, he's comfortable leading our program. Obviously they're not going to be Hugh freeze, but you know, there's somebody out there that, that Ian trusts enough. And uh, you know, as long as, Ian's making those calls. He has a proven track record. He, we think that he will make the right call. So that gives me some comfort knowing that there's a list of five candidates out there right now that could could come in and lead this program. So not trying to take anything away from the Virginia Tech win, not trying to be a buzzkill, but it's something that's just always in the back of my mind because it's always asked of Hugh Freeze in this National Media Day it, it is, what is what is the future and, and how should we respond right now as fans? Do we just enjoy this? 
or, or how do you constantly not look over your shoulder and say, oh, Tennessee has an opening. Oh, Texas has an opening. W- what's your thought on that? Yeah, you, there's so much to unpack there. We could really have an entire podcast hour long devoted to that single topic that we could break it all down. And maybe we should at the end of the season. You know, we can talk about that. But, um, you, you know, first of all, you know, it, it's the biggest story surrounding Liberty football. Um, it, there's no doubt about that. As you mentioned, anywhere you see or, you know, hear a Liberty football take or, or read a Liberty football article, there's always the comment or statement about, you know, Hugh Freeze and when will he get that next, that next opportunity at the P5 or the SEC uh, level. Um, so it's something that, that we have to understand. It's a reality. Um, you know, one thing, you know, I've, every time Hugh Freeze is, is interviewed somewhere, I try my best to track that interview down and listen to it. And that's been the case since he was hired. So last year, you know, towards the end, of, about this year, this time last year, when the Florida State job came open and other jobs started to come open as, as we moved towards the end of the season, he started to get asked these questions. And if you go back and listen to some of his interviews that he had back last November, December timeframe, compared to even, you know, this September um, to now, his chain, his his answer has pretty much been consistent, but it's been a, a you know positive trend if you're a Liberty fan in his response. You know, it used to be how he would say, you know, I, I don't know, we'll see what the future holds. You know, I'm just trying to live in the here and now. Two, it became, I'm happy here. Um, you know, and we'll wait and see. I'm not really entertaining anything right now. So if you listen to him this week, he's saying, I love it here. I'm at peace here. My family loves it. We're at peace here. It would have to take something very, very special. Uh, there would only be a few jobs that I would be interested in leaving here for. That's not what he said a year ago. We all know, you know, most of us listening, if you're a, a Liberty fan, you know, Chad, you and I, we know that Liberty is a very special and unique place. Um, you can have a coach that's, a, a, you know, one of the highest, as you mentioned, in the country. I don't disagree that with that. But you can have someone that finds a home and says, I can accomplish everything I want to accomplish here at Liberty without having to go somewhere else. And, you know, you look at somebody like Richie McKay. You know, I, I've kind of, I don't know if I've gone public with it, but I have said, you know, in the club section of it, he was offered a P5 head coaching job that would have doubled his salary a year ago, and he turned it down. That that's there's something to be said for that, you know. And I'm not saying Richard McKay is a lifer and is going to be here until he retires. I don't know. You, you never know. I mean, if a you know Duke, North Carolina, you know Michigan blue blood type thing came calling, you know, it's hard for me to say he, he wouldn't take that job. But I'm saying that Liberty is a special place. You're, you're surrounded in a family friendly environment. Lynchburg has low cost of living, and Liberty has shown that they will pay you whatever it takes to keep you here. So money's not an issue. You can accomplish anything you want to here with maybe the exception of competing for a national championship. But as you mentioned, that might change, you know, I don't know if it'll be in, in our lifetimes or, or even in the coaching career of McKay and Freeze, but I think it can happen eventually. And you're never going to be on the hot seat. 
You know, will Richie McKay ever be on the hot seat at Liberty? Like, what would it take for him to be on the hot seat? I, I don't think it he could do anything unless some scandal came out, you know. And the same thing for Hugh Freeze, and he's only in his second year here. So, you know, like I said, we could talk about it for a long time. But, you know, as a Liberty fan, you just need to enjoy the moment, realize that this is part of the current Liberty football story. It will be for as long as Freeze is here. And, you know, you just got to enjoy it. Every year that you have him as your head coach, you have to enjoy it. I, ho- I hope it's 5, 10, 15 years. But if it's two, you know, there's no, there's no animosity towards him. He came here and, and did a great job and, and took this program to another another level. That's all you can ask as a head coach. And, um, you know, if we want to get into it sometime later, we can sit here and break down what jobs we think um, I would give me heartburn if they came open. Um, Today, sitting here, I'm not sure if there's a job that will come open in this cycle that uh, would give me pause. But, you know, things can change. John, that was fantastic, man. That was a great answer to that question. And uh, I was really, really glad to hear you say that because, you you know, as, as, as representing a sea of red, you know, you're putting out on Twitter possibilities and openings and you're retweeting articles that Sports Illustrated I mean, even CBS and CBS Sports put out one that they think he's going to South Carolina. And so it's like it's out there and the noise is out there. And we'd be we'd be, you know, especially with your position um, in, in Liberty fans, you know, giving them the news and, and just kind of keeping everybody. You'd be, you know, remiss if you didn't at least retweet that stuff and kind of give it some attention. So um, the great answer on that. One thing I, I will say is we are in a covid year. Um, a- athletic team, athletic um, programs are taking budget cuts like Louisville and Stanford had made some big cuts. A lot of programs are looking at a lot of revenue lost. I think the difference between college football and the NFL is college football depends on that gate. They depend on that admission to football games to fund a lot of their programs. And they didn't have that this year. Whereas the NFL can rely on those huge TV contracts on Sundays. Um, NFL doesn't have, I mean, the college football doesn't have that for the most part. I mean, when they do, it's just for the few top schools, um, and two top programs, um, and conferences. So I think that, um, you know, we're looking at a situation where it's going to be very difficult. Um, I was talking a lot about Fuente this year, this week because of the Virginia tech and his buyouts, 12.5 million. Um, it goes down to 10 million in December. That's a lot of money for somebody to come and buy out and give him a new contract. So um, I think that the, a lot of schools are going to be facing that. Now, obviously, the top tier could come um, calling. The one other thing I wanted to mention was that, and, and you mentioned this earlier, Liberty is willing to pay market value. And that's what Ian always talks about when he talk about paying our coaches. He's going to administration the and, and asking for money for coaches. And his pitch is, hey, if they were another school similar to Liberty doing these similar things, this is how much they would get paid. And so now he has the ammunition to go in there and say, hey, if he was at a top 25 school, G5 school, this is how much he'd be getting paid. If we want to be lower level P5, we're going to start competing there. This is how much he'd be getting paid. And 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 Ian has been fantastic about that. I really think that um, before we let few just walk on out, and go to the next job, there's going to be some money discussions with him and his agents. So it's just a good topic to kind of just keep our keep our finger on the pulse. We're not going to lose sleep over it. We're not going to let it kill our vibes of, of 
being the highest rated and all of that, all the biggest win in school history. But it is something we need to keep our finger on the pulse just because it is coming up. He was at Lambeth for two years. He was at Arkansas State for two years. This makes his second year at Liberty. So it's just something we need to keep an eye on, and I wanted to bring that up. But uh, fantastic stuff, John. Really appreciate it. Uh, we are riding high this week with uh, the win. Uh, we got Coach Ken Austin interview coming up, and uh, we will uh, catch up with you next time. Go Flames. All right, everyone, we are excited to be joined by our 7-0 co-offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, Coach Kent Austin. Coach Austin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Chad. How are you? I'm good. So I guess that just the total euphoric feeling we feel as fans right now, especially Liberty fans, we've never been here before. We don't know really what this wave of emotion is all about. Um, is that I got two questions on that. Is that the same in the in the locker room and with the coaching staff? Are you guys kind of on a, a high right now with this, you know, the wins? And then um, also, is that something you've experienced before at other places? And, and kind of just talk us through what it means to be 7-0, seeing our name all over ESPN, seeing our coach on fine bomb. I mean, what is going on? And, and is it how cool is this? It's hard to uh... – it's hard to put into words, you know, sometimes you just have magical seasons, right? And, and we still have a lot of football to play yet. So, uh, but up to this point, it's really been an unbelievable experience. Uh, and yes, we have felt the same, the same, uh, you know, emotions that our, that our players feel, right? Because we invest in them, they invest in us. I mean, this is a team and, and we wouldn't lose, you know, as a team, right? In football and, uh, so every win and and is is shared uh, the the emotions of that and and the great feeling of accomplishment is shared throughout the entire football operations right because everybody has a hand in this and and we need everybody on on the football side to to do a great job to afford us the ability to to have success so it stretches you know across a lot of different areas you know football operations led obviously of course by Coach Freeze and his leadership. Um, it's just a great, uh, great feeling to be a part of something special and to see this play out the way that it's playing out and to see the, the success of our players, uh, in particular, you know, in particular, cause I'm really happy for them. And obviously the rest of the staff members, I, I could pretty much, I could pretty much go on tour for coach freeze right now and give all of his answers to pretty much all the questions. He, <laughs> he's just been on a media circus right now and it's awesome for our school and the exposure and for himself. But, um, you know, we hear the same answers and, and, it's, and you know, he's got to have those things down pat. But one of the answers he gives that always intrigues me is basically when they talk about Malik and, and he is very quick to say, look, Ken Austin's the best quarterbacks coach I've ever been around. I, he does all of that. I, I'm, you know, I'm more of a cheerleader. But when it comes time to mechanics and, and just developing Malik's accuracy, coach, Ken, it's all coach Ken Austin. So. I know that you're going to deflect some of that, but yeah. you know how cool is that to kind of see um, Malik's progression? And then, can you talk to us a little bit? I know it's accuracy, but talk to us a little bit about what have you specifically worked on with Malik to turn him into somebody who we saw film from Auburn and, and spring games from Auburn where we were really questioning his accuracy. To you know, then now he's top ten in pr completion percentage at one point in the season, just really accurate, good decision maker. Where do you start? One with his with his mindset, and then two mechanically. 
give us one point on each that you kind of just started with and are building blocks for Malik. Sure. I mean, first, let me say that, you know, that's uh, uh, quite a compliment from coach. I'm not sure that it's uh, completely warranted. <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, a lot of quarterback success is obviously being in a system that that is tailored to his skill set. Right. And and to and to call a game that allows for that success to manifest you know, during the game. And coach is a great play caller. If you look at this past game, uh, the way that he managed the clock, he limited their possessions um and 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 how he he called plays at critical times of the game i think was really the difference in the game that's what won the football game for us in my opinion but you know specifically about malik you know every quarterback that i that i've coached uh there are there are upper and lower body fundamentals and it's not just correcting flaws that you see either in upper body mechanics lower body mechanics but it's also understanding how each one of those flaws affects the the other part, right? So a lower body mechanic flaw can affect an upper body mechanic and cause flaws, you know, for example, on release points. You know, one of the things that specifically about Malik, um, he didn't always get his base and his hips proper right before his throws. And, and what that would do is it would cause him to try to find the the receiver is how we call it. We, we have sayings in a room. One is you, you're trying to find the receiver with your arm. What that means is that your upper and lower body are out of sync. And it's like a batter, you know, they talk about stepping out of the box, you know, and, and, you know, stepping back and out of, of, of the batter's box on his swing. Uh, it's the same thing. Quarterbacks sometimes do that to their left. And that where that's where Malik, um, give me a specific example, had some issues is, is his throws to his left. He stepped out of the box, if you will, too much. And, it caused his delivery point to be more sidearm or three quarter, which sails the ball because he can't get on top of the football. So one of the things that we work very, very hard on is, is making sure that he can very quickly within game speed, uh, get his, get his hips, right, his base, right. And to stay on top of the ball and his release point to get a consistent release, regardless of the movement that's required in the pocket. Right. So we don't do any drills that don't mimic the game. I don't believe in them. Uh, you have to do drills that are, are going to actually be required to execute um, your ability to throw accurately in a, in a football game. And as you know, I mean, the pocket is rarely pristine, right? <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's rarely just a perfect pocket. You always having to slide, move, um, move up, move out, slide out, you know, these types of things to find lanes, to throw the ball and to get vision and to get away from trouble. And that's when your mechanics can get all out of whack. And those are the things that, that we've worked really, really hard with. We do it with all our quarterbacks, but specifically or, or specifically with Malik to make sure that the last part of his throw is as consistent as it can be as if the pocket was perfect. Very cool. So that uh, I, I, I can this is excuse me for the long setup here, but I my wife, I have three boys and they'll be playing in another room and I'm oh, sitting. Don't worry about it. I love it. Oh, I okay. love it. Don't I'm worry about it. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting up in my room and, and, um, you know, I'm listening to my boys play in the other room and my wife is, has them. And here's, here's what happens coach is I'll hear a scream and I'll run down there and they're all going at it. And my wife's trying to get everybody in control. 
And here's here's what I relate that to is your is you calling plays on third down. It's like your coach Freeze got things humming, and then all of a sudden things don't go right, and we're stuck in a third and long, and we got to call in coach Kent to call the third down play. What kind of pressure does that put on you to only come in whenever? I mean, for the most part, to come in game day, and and it seems like whenever whenever that play sheet's handed over and that headset's handed over to make the call. It's not a good situation. So what is that like? How do you prepare for that? I just kind of kind of relate that to me only being called on in the other room whenever things are just going crazy. So is that kind of the perception you have or how how does that work? Oh no, I you know, it, it's listen, it's it's a tough down to distance to call for sure, but but we do a the 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 flip side of it is is I can focus very intently on that during the week and 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 to make sure that the quarterbacks understand exactly how to execute third and medium, third and long, third and extra long, some some red zone stuff, um, you know, and the nuance of of executing that perfectly, but uh, or as perfect as as they can, right? And so the the, the pressure with respect to that play calling, uh, it's it, it's really no different than than um, you know if you had to prepare for all of the play calling. I mean, there's there's unique situations in every down and distance and different parts of the field uh, that quite frankly, don't show themselves until great game time. Right. I really believe that play calling is both, both an art and a science and all the preparation that you have during the week can be tossed out, you know, out of the window, if you will, in the first quarter, because the defense can come in and play a completely different schematic uh, that you didn't prepare for. And so I believe that that games are won at game time and with halftime adjustments. They're going to always make their adjustments defensively, right? Specifically on third down, third and long. Uh, you know, teams do a really good job. The smart ones do a really good job of mixing up the coverages, mixing up the, the pressures that they're showing us to not give us a consistent look because, you know, that's, that's a lot easier to call plays when you get a consistent, you know, to, yeah, when it's trending a particular way. Right. And we have tendencies. And so as we are up in the box and me and, you know, Kyle DeArm and, you know, as we're calculating the tendencies and seeing what they do after a big play, after, you know, a second down, you know, whatever it is, um, different parts of the field, uh, you know, when we cross midfield, does their personality change and, and are they starting to show patterns of play calling uh, for example, they're going in and out of man and a particular type of zone coverage, and they're going back and forth. Well, we can anticipate some of that by by having a you know a call sheet. I have a call sheet. I have what, a what if call sheet, and I, and I start to modify that during the game. So, what if they go back to cover four or a zone pressure or go back to cover one? How did they play that the previous time? And then I start to refine my call sheet according to the, what's fleshing out in front of me, right? And, and what's manifesting during the game. Um, we can also freeze at the line of scrimmage and try to get them to move in, into their coverages through, through a freeze that uh, hopefully they don't get back out of. And they, they, what they're trying to disguise is now uh, been exposed and that I can get the, I can get the offense in the right, right play call, but um, you know, not always right, obviously. <laughs> and it's a, it's a tough down to distance to call, but certainly having Malik, and his ability to move the sticks with his feet um, if the pocket collapses on us uh, helps a lot. Very cool. So <clears throat> I got a question for you about Coach Freeze. So you've been around Coach Freeze, been with Coach Freeze, yeah. several different coaching capacities over the years. Uh, just 
he also one of the one of the things he mentions to Feinbaum and and to others that he talks to regularly is how he's matured as a coach, in particular how how to coach with a lead. So I just wanted to get your thought on mm-hmm. what's something yeah. he does other than just coaching with a lead and running the ball more and kind of uh, and kind of game management. What's something he does to prepare differently or to uh, coach differently? How have you seen him mature as a head coach, uh, basically on the field type things? Well, Coach is a, is a really good game day coach. And all the great ones, and he's a great coach, you know, all the great ones have that ability, right? They have the ability to see what is going on, to have a feel for the game, to understand what the defense is trying to do, the adjustments that they're making, uh, and to to be a step ahead, if you will, of the play caller on the other side of the field. And to, and to more consistently, as the game progresses, to more consistently put our offense in a position to be successful with the right play call. Coach, coach has a great ability in that, in that area. Uh, he's got a great feel for the game. He's very intuitive. Uh, he understands what's happening. And at the same time, he understands the momentum shifts in the game, right? Um, there, because there are always going to be some uh, shifts in momentum. And do we, you know, do we need to slow the game down, right? And play complementary football, like you mentioned uh, in your setup. Uh, that doesn't always stay the same over four quarters. It might be that we need to play complementary football for a quarter and a half, and then all of a sudden get back to warp speed, right? And it just you just have to have a feel for the game as a play caller and as a game manager to, to understand when you move in and out of, of those different paces of the game to give our, give our guys the best chance to win and to play complementary football to help our defense if needed Right and 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 special teams, so we don't get backed up, for example, and and we don't you know we don't get in um, less you know, probabilistic play calls, if you will, when we're way backed up, and and then give them a short give a good offense a short field. I mean, coach is really good in understanding those things, the nuances of of, of the game, and how he manages it and calls the game. And last, lastly, for you, coach, is uh, last year it's felt like, especially with calling uh, third and medium, third and long, and, and third and extra long, it felt like that a lot of times we would look to AGG and, and just say, <laughs> okay, all right, we got we got this guy. If we can get him, at least if double coverage, we're probably okay, you know. And and so I was noticing on the game on Saturday, CJ Yarbrough made two huge catches, and I thought in crucial yeah. situations. Obviously, he had the touchdown, and and then I think he had another out and up where he was he was wide open. Have we have we caught him? But the two catches I'm talking about are one where Malik got hit, the ball was kind of fluttering in the air, and he went up yeah. and snatched it late in the game. Yep. And then and then the second one was the obviously the six or seven yard out where um, set up the field goal kicker to make it a, a 51 instead of 59 yarder. So my question is, it looks like CJ is kind of taking that step. Not only is he a great athlete, not only has he just been playing well but has he has he moved his way up that that uh play call sheet where you're like starting to trust him more in big crucial downs kind of like you did AGG is it is it kind of started to trend that direction well we certainly have a lot of lot of confidence in, in, in CJ you know the you know what tampered him this year is his injury right and um and and a young player uh, you know AGG had a lot of experience when when we took over uh a young player can't get better without playing in real games, right? And in particular, quarterback specifically can't get better without playing live because uh, you just can't you can't put your players in game like situations enough in practice 
to get them ready to 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 execute and what they're really going to face when it's live. Um, so CJ is he has a lot of talent. He cares a lot. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence. And I mean, obviously, you look at some of the catches he's made this year. I mean, he made you know he made uh, the top ten a couple times I think this year. So uh, he's got a lot of ability, great ball skills. Uh, our quarterbacks trust him a lot, but they trust our receiving core across the board. You know, we're really good inside as well. Um, and the ability of, of, of DJ and, and DeMario to understand coverage, their time and space awareness, um, uh, which seems like an easy completion when, when, you know, when, when they get the ball, particularly over the middle. Uh, sometimes those are adjustments by those guys, right, because they just understand coverage. It, it makes the life for a quarterback a lot easier. Uh, but no, CJ, CJ is going to have a great career. He's going to, he's going to be a really good player for us. And um, we're glad he's back in the lineup. So coach, uh, we know that we know that you're not getting the calls from uh fine bomb. You're not getting the calls from sports center, but from, from flames fans who have paid attention to this team, the work you did with buckshot last year and decreasing the turnovers and, and then what you've done with Malik this year so far, getting his feet set and getting his accuracy on throws to the left. I mean, all that kind of stuff, it is does not go unnoticed. And uh, we are so happy to have you. We're really uh, thankful for all that you've done at Liberty. Keep up the good work, man. And uh, like I said earlier, when I, when I started this interview, I'm basically, I mean, we are just, we are just all, like euphoric. We're happy. We're, we're just excited. We've never experienced this before and uh, we want, we like to keep it going. So coach, thank you very much. And uh, really appreciate all your work. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. Oh, no, you're, you're very, very kind. I appreciate all the compliments. Uh, like I said, I don't know how deserving I am of them, but listen, very blessed to be here. Very blessed to be a part of this and be a part of something very special and to, and to work for a really awesome head coach. So God, we'll we'll try to keep it going for you guys <laughs> and, uh, and try to finish this season out the way we need to, okay? Thank you very much, Coach Austin.